everybody. Welcome to the Angler Podcast. This is Sean McNulty from the Wake Up Newsletter here at the Angler on a Thursday, uh, June 29th here on the Jersey Shore. Uh, joining me today from Los Angeles, uh, Mr. Richard Rushfield. Richard, I'm, I'm sorry you lost out on the Wheel of Fortune hosting gig. Uh, I know you had your heart set on it, but uh, you know, making the top three is nothing to scoff at, Richard. So congratulations. Well, they're gonna they're gonna see better of, of this. We've seen how some of these hosting choices can can go wrong, and they <laughs> this can is true. Go back to the well, uh, and of course Elaine Lowe, um, who is now part of the linear TV scheduling team at Turner Classic Movies. Elaine, do I have that right? Or uh, yes, congratulations they, to me. Do they need seven <laughs> people to do that job? Was that was that the, they needed one more? Was that it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that that's what happened. That's exactly how it happened, Sean. <laughs> <laughs> Six people chiming in on the linear TV schedule for a cable network, uh, which on a monthly basis, which. They they were not doing just what you thought like cnn was kind of done it's like oh that's the end of the cable troubles we're past that time for a time for a big tbs controversy <laughs> yeah yeah who's, we should, yeah who's up next in the, tbs in the is overdue for drama <laughs> um but first of course uh you can follow the angler on all social platforms at the angler and subscribe to the angler at the angler.com to get the full suite of newsletters and podcasts and of course, sign up for the Angler's Strike Geist newsletter, totally free, uh, covering all news from the WGA picket lines, the latest with SAG-AFTRA. Who needs a, Ju- a July 4th vacation, Elaine, right? Well, it looks like I might get one after all, since uh, the deadline report came out yesterday that says that it looks like those talks might be extended from a June 30th expiration to July 7th is what people are surmising now. Um, so we kind of talked about last week, like we're like, yeah, this doesn't make a lot of sense to go on strike on July 1st. Right. Right. I mean, that's a Saturday. And then the first weekday after that is July 3rd, the day before the July 4th holiday. So, yeah, it makes more sense for them to keep talking through July 7th if they can anyway, both to have that extra time. And because any kind of labor action that comes after uh, would be presumably more effective on the 8th or the 10th. Plus the Tom Cruise New York premieres on uh, on Monday the 10th. So there you go. New York City. Mm. But mm. anyway, um, so how were you out on the, the lines this week? What's kind of the latest in the front lines uh, of the WGA strike uh, this week for you, Elaine? I wasn't out on the lines this week, although I've been talking to folks and, uh, you know, the reports are that it's a, you know, it's folks are trickling out of town, I think, on every side mm. here. So it's been a little bit quieter, understandably. Uh, but all eyes are really on these SAG-AFTRA talks right now to see whether we're going to have a double strike with the WGA or whether they'll be able to come to their own deal. And then that puts uh, the focus back on the AMPTP to get back to talks with the WGA. Right. And uh, there's a letter that came out this week of note, I guess, is we should probably mention. Yeah. So I think the uh, petition has over a thousand signatures now. It's a letter to SAG-AFTRA leadership um, saying that they're essentially prepared to strike and that they're still on board. So it just basically echoes the strike authorization vote uh, that already went through and um, you know, the, the actors are are very willing to go on strike, which I think is a different tone than a lot of the di- the directors, you know, uh, colloquially were, were expressing up ahead of the DGA deal. Yeah, but the writers certainly were. And I don't, as I said, it's already been authorized. It's so hard to read between these tea leaves, yeah. right? And then when <laughs> you're really looking is. at Intel, it's certainly you hear everything all over the place. I don't know, Richard, have you been hearing anything good about SAG? I mean, not particularly. It's. I would say the 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 video from uh, from Fran Drescher and uh, Duncan Crabtree Ireland there, um, it's not definitive. But if you put out that video and then say, "Well, talks broke down, and we we these people we cannot see eye to eye with them," having put out a video of uh, about how uh, how how well they're going and how a historic how a historic deal is imminent. Um, 
that would be odd, but uh, not impossible. But uh, unless uh, it's a strategic optics thing, you said, like... as you said, Richard, in your column, they are actors. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so, so being odd is not uh, is not necessarily uh, out of the realm of possibility. But yeah, I, I guess you'd have to say the default is you assume they're heading towards something at the at the moment, unless, but. You know, who knows? We'll see. Mm-hmm. And uh, the DGA, of course, approved their deal, the membership, you know, the, but the, I wrote this in, in the wake up this week. I didn't realize this. And I don't know why. Not that I should have before, but the amount of people who actually vote to approve this is pretty low. Like, in my opinion, mm-hmm. the DGA yeah, approval was 41 yeah, percent of membership. Um, and then going uh, that approved this deal and it was lower in 2017 and even lower in 2014. WGA approval in 2017, which is really the more the last deal per se, was 37 percent of the membership voted to approve it. You know, meaning nobody else even, but you know, that's the people who voted. And SAG after was 27 percent in their last deal. So, you know, the activity of the, you know, you see the big numbers. It's 11,000 people in WGA. It's 160,000 in SAG. But how many people are actually, you know, in the mix here? Is that something that kind of I don't know. Just it, it, it caught my eye, Elaine, for to yeah. say and I think that's always a question. I mean, even when you look at national presidential elections, <laughs> right, right? right? And then you're right. just like this many, only this many people you care so like, much. It's my life. And it's like, <laughs> yeah, 30 percent of this or 40 percent of this country does not even vote, uh, by the way. Right. Yeah. So uh, just something perspective is always important in these things, Elaine, to, to some degree. So but one other thing I want to talk about and just we'll start here. In terms of what they're they're asking for, Elaine, we haven't seen an official you know list of demands or anything like that. But one of the things that's come out is you know increased residuals in streaming, kind of based on hits. So if something they they put out a caveat of well we want to use a metric you know using parent analytics as a third party and the studio is like well we're not using third party analytics with blah blah blah. But setting up a, a, a metric that if a show is a hit in streaming, the residual is greater. Was that something that also was on your radar? Yeah. And I mean, the residuals conversation is something that's big, both within the writers community and the actors community, sure. although obviously those are kind of going on in, in you know, different rates. Uh, but I think the interesting thing is really it comes down to wanting more data transparency from these streamers. Right. And the fact that SAG says, hey, let's use this third party parrot analytics, which I know a lot of the studios will dispute the accuracy of. Right. Um, you know, really says something. I, I I wonder if it's more just like the actors want any kind of data or whether this is also just a strategic push to say, hey, if you think this data is wrong, why don't you give us the exactly. actual data you that data. you have that we know exist. you can it's, slice yeah, right. and dice any which way you want, uh, but refuse to reveal. Because uh, it's so, like even even within these uh, streamers, like the, the amount of data that they share with their creators within the system is sounds fairly minimal from what i've heard yeah so part of the part of the problem uh, as i understand it also though is that uh you know a, a view is not a view uh across the a view has different values and different meanings to different services who yeah, no are in the business for different reasons so it's uh and for some of them it's not a view it's the time time spent on the on the system or did it lead to other actions or so they're 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 looking at how do we get more for something that performs well on your service? But the definition of performed well can be very different and complicated for uh, for some of them. And then for some place like Apple, you don't even know what that you're not even sure they have a definition of what well is. Yeah, as you always say, Richard, it's a business of hits. So what's a hit? You know, we have box office got that. TV Nielsen's you could pretty much make an argument in the streaming. Uh, to your point. 
Um, is it completion rate? Is it starts or, you know, is it that many views you got to start? Is it how many people, you know, they call first sign up, you know, somebody signed in is the first thing you watch, which is presumably the reason you subscribed and paid your money, you know, the, all these kind of different metrics. And as you said, there's no, uh, you know, agreed upon metrics. So finding this answer is a little tough, but the underlying sentiment is we want to be paid in success, right, Richard? Yes. And so just to take a step back, I mean, Ankler rule number one is, as you say, this is a business of hits. Right. Um, when you don't have a really simple answer answer to what makes a hit, you might see that as a problem for the business. <laughs> what is success is probably yeah. Uh, what's your KPI, Richard? Uh, you know, is a, is a tough one to put in a business speak, but uh, but it's not in the studio's best interest to suddenly go no. and say, "Let's share all this data with each other, guys." Let's. Uh, let, here's right. how I tell you what a what a success looks like here. Yeah. Let's standardize it so that the writers and actors can then use it to leverage more money out of us. Like it's just not in their best interest to do that. Protecting data is is the founding principle of of Silicon Valley, and uh, that the entire tech world it, it, it's against their religion to 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 share that. You know, another thing, it, it, opening up the 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 data to everyone on everything is not necessarily also a happy result. And and I've 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 heard of agents who, who are also like, well, do, do we really need the world to know that only 400 <laughs> people watched this series last last week? It cuts, it cuts both ways, Richard. It, it helps a lot on the top, but but that's that's a lot of information you're putting out uh, across the board. That's that, and once that information is out there, it has an impact on everybody's rate. Yep. So, so it's complicated. Yeah, and Elaine, to your point, it's kind of a double. There's two sides to that. So it's a, it's revealing data to your person you're negotiating with, which would be the talent. And also, yeah, to your competitors who also do not know your data. So it's kind of a dual, you know, reveal there. It's not just with the talent, um, as Richard points out in Silicon Valley, almost like industry trade secret kind of, you know, level of, of situation to a degree. So yeah, there's no way they're going to let go of that. Uh, yeah, I, I actually that. think that the parrot analytics is, is a decent, uh, approach yeah. to it. Just like pick one, one metric, every, everyone I mean, agree to that. And Nielsen and, is a third party, uh, you know, business, you know, Nielsen's, yeah, right. You know, take, take your pick, but, uh, I don't have any opinion about which, which one is the best, but just picking one commonly held metric. It's like those numbers are already public. So it's not, it's not a matter of releasing, uh, doesn't hurt anybody's, uh, price rate any more than what's already out there. And, uh, the, the, the point of this is to reward the people that do really well slice it any way you want, like Parrot, Dielsen, Twitter searches, whatever, whatever you have. The, the, the big hit shows are going to be at the top of that, uh, any, any way you look at that. Right. And that's also big in the U.S., but what about big globally? You know, these are global businesses now, and it's uh, when the show goes out to 200 countries, that's a different story, and they're making money. Netflix makes money off of all that, not just the U.S. viewership. So that's also you know a bigger part of the pie where before TV shows would just get sold off in syndication worldwide, but not be the you know the D- Nielsen wasn't a factor there. So, uh, speaking of which, Elaine, did you get your Paramount Plus with Showtime tattoo this week, or uh, is that still in the in the offing? Well, I already had the Paramount Plus tattoo, oh, right. so I just needed to make the room with for the with Showtime right. part of it. You <laughs> see, yeah. <laughs> The name change is official. Uh, I don't have cable to check my program guide. I think it's still called Showtime as a linear channel, but uh, Paramount Plus with Showtime has officially launched. 
um, in conjunction with another purge, Elaine. This is also a related topic here, which I want to dive into a little bit to this uh, streaming. This will hit. go down in like the streaming history books, like the purges. Yeah, it is. Like, it's well. Like, it's, it, I mean, it, I, I've been using the term, but what else? You know, like <laughs> it's accurate. It's like what else? Yeah, you know, it'll, go, it'll go down by by streamer of like these are all the shows yeah. that were purged. Uh, Paramount Plus, you know, dropped the Inside Amy Schumer. A few other shows this week. Uh, you know, there's more at at uh, at Hulu. Dropped. Uh, they're essentially not keeping the shows that ABC canceled, which cer- certainly makes sense. Is ABC doesn't want it? Why are we still paying for it? <laughs> Uh, as well as some other library uh, WBD shows uh, and Disney Plus uh, also is still purging things. Um, ESG writers running a piece this week at the Ankler about it. Uh, in terms of titles, a lot of non-theatrical movies, Elaine. You know, they already purged a bunch of old Disney Plus original series, but again, not Marvel and Star Wars. But it's a, it's what Iger said three months ago. It's or four months, five months ago, whatever it was. It's not mm-hmm. a big surprise here, right, Elaine? Yeah, all pretty expected. I, again, and we've talked about this before. I think this just this just speaks to the idea, like the outrage whenever one of these purges happens. Um, I think speaks to the idea of like, should this content be ephemeral? Right? Like, it's like back in the day, if you were just watching something on broadcast TV, if you missed the time it aired, well, too bad for you. It was gone forever until it came out on VHS or whatever, right? right and then right, you yeah. had to sort of have it in that like format or DVD or something. But like now it's like everybody expects everything to live forever in streaming. And I don't think that's an unreasonable request either, but it's definitely like a shift in mindset. Well, it's just back to, you know, things get canceled. That's it. You know, um, and if you and to the point about the ABC show, so namely um, Alaska Daily and the Malaventimiglia show, things like the company you, company you keep, you can still buy them on iTunes if you really want to watch the show. They're not gone forever. Um, you're just not getting free on Hulu anymore, you know. So if you're that passionate about you're the biggest Malaventimiglia fan club, uh, it's not like they're, they're not taking it away from you. They're just yeah, saying, man. Here's but if the I'm already paying now. like how much money a month for X number of streaming services, I gotta really love something to then buy more yeah. stuff on well, iTunes. That passionate, the number of people who are that passionate about it can make complaint about it, and the other 99.5 percent of the population can move on with their life. But you know, who didn't know it was there anyway? I think the point the uh, the the streamers would make is if we've taken something off our service, it's because you're not watching it. We're not yeah, keeping I mean, the implication. We're not, yeah. we're not we're not keeping things that are being heavily watched on the services. We're with with HBO Max. I think it was the Shawnee, but it was like the top twenty shows accounted for something like ninety six percent of all view. I don't know it was that high, but it was definitely a vast some, majority. Some outrageous was, uh, ratio. Yeah, definitely over half and maybe even close to 70 or whatever it was. But yeah, it was a va- the vast majority was the top 20 at, at HBO. Yeah, or HBO Max. It's so, I, I mean, I, I when I, when I think of that, I, I, I was talking to a producer this week and she, the way she described it is uh, we we were on the, the Mayflower uh, coming across the ocean. We're in the middle of the ocean right now. We just left the land of streaming war and the height of streaming war, and we're going to a new land where there's going to be a new arrangement and a, a, a new way the system is set up. And we don't know what that, that new world looks like yet, and, but yeah. things are taking shape and, and, and coming together, and we'll see when we get there. And, I, and we shouldn't assume that everything that's happening right now is, is one step towards building that new land, but not the final destination, not the final... So if something comes off HBO, that doesn't mean Westworld is gone forever and no one will ever see Westworld again. 
You can go yes. watch it on Pluto or whatever. It's like, you know, is that it really, or, or again, buy it on iTunes. If you really want to watch it, you know, it's not like it's uh, gone forever, but. And thank you oh, to yeah. the producer for that. Oh. Uh, it's, I know she's a, <laughs> she's a regular uh, listener. So uh. <laughs> if you're listening, there you go. Uh, but if you're going to be paid in success in streaming, Elaine, so presumably you're going to get paid more for your hits. You know, that money's going to come from somewhere and it's probably going to be from canceling those shows or pulling those show more of those shows that no one's watching for paying you more which, you know, they're deserved. You should be paid in success, which is the you know the mantra of Hollywood. Well, that means somebody else is not getting paid. Uh, that does not mean we are going to give you more of our money, uh, which I think is, you know, speaks to this thing that's this purge that's happening. That will only accelerate that in a sense, Elaine. At least yeah, so many of these companies it. are in cost-cutting mode too. It's not just right. the content, right? It's like, you. how many thousands of layoffs have we seen this year? How many more are we still expecting in the back half of the year? So everybody's right. in cost-cutting mode and there's this idea, right? The euphemism, the euphemistic term is we're right-sizing things, <laughs> uh, which corporations love. Uh, yeah. But yes, everybody's in this like right-sizing mode right now. Uh, yeah. which involves making some painful cuts, both the personnel and the content. And uh, I mean, the idea is that they'll come out stronger for it and more profitable at the end. I mean, everybody has these profitability projections, right? For like 24, 25, 26 on their streaming services. And this is how they're going to get there. Yeah. The right sizing to what right size uh, is the question. Um, well, we're kind of on the cusp here of uh, July 4th. Which uh, Richard, uh, we have a little more box office history in our in our in our blood here than Elaine certainly, but July Fourth always the big movie theater weekend, uh, at least through my adult era. Uh, I'm sure, but you agree with that statement, Richard? Uh, yeah, this is uh, the height of summer, the big uh, sort of the final big push of uh, giant blockbusters uh, come in before there's. I mean, it, it used to be that uh something would do well on the fourth of july and then it would just play right at, at the big on the biggest screens like all the way all the way until the fall so so this was the last place to give those to give those giant like raiders of the lost ark you know three months of uh of, of time there but uh now it seems to be more or less uh when the, I, I guess mission impossible is uh well it's funny you say I, we're talking about this now but mission impossible is tracking at 90 million which if it does that we'll have beat Almost every film that came out in June, which Mission Impossible's a uh, July twelfth release date. I think Barbie just came on around sixty million, and or maybe it's more than that's that sixty or seventy. But uh, Oppenheimer around forty. You know, for these films, uh, you know, Elemental, which did thirty, and The Flash, which did you know fifty five. It's like, well, the big movies are actually kind of going to be a little more after July fourth this year. Uh, notwithstanding, you know, Mermaid and, and Spider Man, certainly, but there's that June was kind of a lull this year, Richard. It feels like, and uh, July, uh, hopefully, and you still have things like you know, the Meg and Blue Beetle and things. And in August, has come on as a bigger thing, you know, over the years as well. I think, I think June wasn't meant to be a, a lull, but no, no not intentionally. <laughs> we just Sorry, had, uh, <laughs> we, we just had some underperform, right? Yeah, I mean, at the, at the beginning of the summer, we, we were saying, wow, look, these. These weekends are packed, and yeah. uh, every everything has the potential to be a blockbuster. Uh, and uh, turned out everything wasn't a blockbuster. So, or they were for a week, and they have had big drops or whatever. Yeah, whatever it might be. Um, so, Elaine, it was July Fourth a big uh, part of your history of growing up with the movies, or what? Where does this uh, lie in your mind? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Elaine, always reliable from the millennial <laughs> point of view. I love it. This is good. This is why we have a good mix here on the Ankler podcast. So very good point of view. 
I'm I'm more about like uh let's get a good beach read and uh and go to the shore <laughs> kind of gal on July 4th. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Well, hopefully you'll play along. Richard and I were slacking last night and I think uh you know, so of course we have Indiana Jones coming out in theaters uh, well tonight, really Thursday night and uh, this weekend and uh the other film is Ruby Gilman Teenage Kraken which uh, is a tracking pretty low at this point from Universal and Dreamworks Animation but uh, a little trip down memory lane here, uh, Elaine and Richard, um, to kind of compare. We'll go back 10 years ago from this year, 2023, and we'll see what, what was happening at the box office a decade ago, uh, going back to 1983 here, and, and pick our pick which one we would want to go back to. So that's as a trip down July 4th memory lane back in 2013, when we had uh, eight films made over $10 million in one weekend. Wow. This weekend, just for comparison, probably three, maybe four will hit 10 million uh, this weekend if Ruby Gilman overperforms, but we're probably going to have three. So, but number one was uh, Despicable Me 2. And have you seen that one, Elaine? No. Okay. You are I feel like I'm minions. in front of like a, how, like a how, how do you cho- like hearing right now. <laughs> <laughs> have your kids seen it? Maybe, yeah, maybe that's the start. Yeah. I think exactly. they saw the first one. I think I'm okay. like, you're, you're or not something. drowning in minions all the time there. <laughs> no, it is not all minions all the time here. We are, uh, we are more of a, a, a Disney plus uh, uh, movie family here. On uh, the well, okay. So number two that weekend was the Lone Ranger, which I'm sure you <laughs> haven't seen, which was a Disney was film. The Army Hammer, Johnny that Depp was one. The Army no, Hammer. I have not seen that. Why are yes. you not asking Richard? Are you assuming that Richard's seen all of these? Uh, Borg, don't, don't worry about that. Don't, I have numbers for Richard. Don't worry. Don't you worry about that. <laughs> uh, but yes, the Lone Ranger. The uh, this is back to some tough times at Disney. Uh, Richard's around the John Carter era. Uh, remember that? Then yes, yes. Was was that what, what year was John Carter? Is that right around? I believe it was the year before. I could I could check that out. But it was definitely this period of a couple of big big ticket items that did not perform well. Lone Ranger. Netted out at eighty nine million dollars uh, in the U S. and and, and that was before they uh, they discovered the 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 magic of the live action remake of animated classics and and started really strip mining the uh, the the vault to a new level there. Yeah, the vault. Well, I mean, Lone Ranger, Lone Ranger is IP. I don't think it's Disney IP per se, and I think not one of the vault classics. <laughs> no, and so uh, that did not last long at, at the Disney. Uh, that that whole regime was uh, changed over, as, as to my recollection. And Disney live action, big Disney live action, doesn't uh, doesn't do things remotely like this anymore. From, from yeah, from that's right. Film. Well, this is this is why because it made eighty nine million dollars. They spent two hundred million dollars, whatever it was on it, yeah. uh, with Army Hammer and, and Johnny Depp. Uh, number three, Elaine was the Heat. Love that movie, Melissa McCarthy and, and uh, Sandra Bullock, which did one hundred sixty million in the U.S. for R rated comedy. That's that's astounding. That that, that R rated comedy just just ten years ago did one hundred sixty million. Yep, yeah, two hundred and thirty worldwide. Number four was and, uh and it holds uh, up by the way the heat it does I I literally just uh, had it on last week it's it's still a great movie Monsters University was number oh I have four. seen this oh, one all right we found Many one times. yes <laughs> <laughs> that was made that one made twenty million dollars in its third week uh, on July fourth weekend net, netted out at two hundred and sixty eight million in the U S and seven hundred and forty three worldwide number five World War Z kind of gets forgotten a little bit it was a big hit but I don't know that people think of the Brad Pitt Pantheon Richard this one. Is one that it, gets mentioned here. Ten years it's later. only they reshot like the last third of it. I remember that being a thing. They you know kind of willed it into a being a hit, as far as I recall. It, it's got some really interesting parts to it. Uh, it's not a not a not a terrible movie, but it was but uh, not a clear 
Brad Pitt movie, not a feel-good movie either. Uh, no, no, probably not. Uh, that ended up at $202 million, um in the U.S. Uh, back in 2013. And then just the other three who crossed $10 million were uh, White House Down Week 2, Men of Steel. <laughs> now we're back in sp- Superman so that, is back, so that was 10 years ago, Richard. What, what's interesting about that is, is that Man of Steel sort of kicks off the current era of uh, of sort yeah. of troubled DC, DC troubles. And 10 years later that they're just, they're just getting around out of casting it. it. Yeah. Uh, so that's pretty incredible. Uh, yeah. And that one made $291 million uh, in the U S and 670 worldwide. So but, it wasn't a dud, but I don't think that people, it's not beloved Richard, I would say, I but, but, but let that be example of uh, when, when, when people talk about a new team uh, coming to a studio and turning it around, what what a big job it is turning these these uh, steamships around there. You know, ten years later, they're just beginning again to grapple, get their arms around the DC uh, issues. And yep, new uh, new decade, new uh, new new Superman. All right, so that's the 2013 lineup. I will recount these briefly at the end before so we pick our choices. <laughs> Going in 2003, 20 years ago, Elaine, where were you in 2003? I was a senior in high school. Were you going to the movies, <laughs> Elaine? Well, maybe, well, we'll go through it. So uh, number one was Terminator 3, uh, open the weekend. Uh, to Illegally Blonde 2, Elaine. That's, that, maybe that's where I was going to... Oh, I have seen that one, yes. Okay, so that was number <laughs> two. That one came out at uh, $22 million. Yeah, that's... It the... was really all part twos, Elaine, and nothing else, and none of them, and nobody liked any of them. However, uh, it has one movie in the middle of it that, yeah. that, that if that movie came out this summer, you would say, um, this is the greatest summer ever because of that one movie finding nemo well uh, finding nemo so so number three was charlie's angels week two which again the film that is not uh, beloved certainly uh that ended up at 100 million in the u.s uh and finding nemo was in week six and still making 11 million dollars a week uh at number four so that tells you where that is made 380 million domestic and almost uh 900 and, say 940 million uh 20, international. 20 years ago that was 20 that was... years ago and that's 28 yeah exactly so for inflation you know you can do your math on that no, um, no special premium screens. No, right. All nothing. exactly, exactly. No, yeah, we're, we're entirely right, Richard. Uh, and then number five, uh, the original Hulk, Richard, uh, which did not, which has had several attempts. This was, uh, I think, the first major one that made eight million that uh, in week three. So that wasn't, you know, that's a top five right there. Not the strongest. Th- this is kind of where you can see the problems being planted here. <laughs> and, and and this is kind of uh, Hollywood has gone. I mean, you're looking at this. Hollywood has gone all in on big IP here. Oh yeah. And, so let me yeah let me Terminator three, Legally Blonde two, Charlie's Angels two. That summer also had The Matrix two, Fast and Furious two, Bruce Almighty, which was kind of liar liar two, if you will, uh, and X Men two. So that was literally all of 2003 summer. So this is a little bit of we have no other ideas here richard what's interesting also is it's 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 a time with uh sequels when it was still kind of by the old rule of sequels which is it'll do you know 40% less than than the original did and you you right. just you 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 don't expect much from a sequel sort of get the same audience back but 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 lose a lose a bit off the top and you didn't have the idea that the sequel was going to be twice as big as the movie before it or as good. I mean, all these movies are really. There's no, not a one of these, one of those in the bunch that I would say is is beloved by maybe X Men two to some degree, but uh, beloved by the, the the fans there. So, but you do, you do have the stealth one in there when Fast and Furious two nobody 
came out. Nobody thought, oh, we're gonna we're gonna still be making these movies. Well, no, 20, well, especially 20 years after, from now, <laughs> after that movie, which did not perform. Or sorry, Too Fast, Too Furious, uh, Elaine. Just uh, for the record, there. Make sure we. Have I'd the... have seen that one. <laughs> <laughs> you were you were seeing that as a high school senior. That that I, I will that put tracks, a few like <laughs> yeah yeah that one yeah it's like, oh that one I got yeah exactly. Uh, so that was 2003. We're going back to 1993. I'm oh, sure you've seen all these. You probably didn't see these, Elaine, in the theater, but I guarantee. Correct. I did not at seven. I was not seeing the firm in the, in the Elaine Low <laughs> Pantheon. So, so number one is the firm, uh, which opened uh, to 32 million in 1993, which is the highest grossing John Grisham film of the John Grisham Pantheon. Yeah. So, wait, wait, a, a, a completely lost genre, the action yes. lawyer. That, uh... <laughs> well, that was IP, Richard. That was the Marvel, like the new, you know, it wasn't the new Marvel film. Was let's go see the new John Grisham movie. That it was, was the best thing. selling novel. For that run of the '90s, there, Richard. That was you know, remember that was you know that was the hot ticket. There man. were lawyers yeah. running from bad guys, shooting back at them all all over the uh, screens. But it wasn't even like a lot of action. I mean, Tom Cruise, of course, was running, but it was you know highly. Yeah. Those are more the legal th- legal thrillers, you know. But that was even... uh, that you know that was an extremely solid, effective thriller that you you don't see him anymore. Yeah, they don't see him anymore, really, or whatever it is. Uh, that made 158 million in 1993. Uh, in the U.S., uh, Jurassic Park, Elaine, I'm sure has entered the pantheon. I've seen this movie about eight million times. <laughs> oh wow! <laughs> okay, there we go. Look at that. Which in it's week... it's my eight year old's favorite movie of all time. So wow, the, ori- the original one, the original, yes, one. the original one. Yeah, wow, that's yeah. great. Yeah, he that's thinks awesome. it holds up better than than the others. Although he is a big Chris Pratt fan. Do you feel bad for the lawyer? You know, oh, yeah. or the lawyer who gets plucked off in the toilet. Yeah, yeah. no. <laughs> <laughs> um, that was still doing $25 million in week four in 1993 to give some comparison. It netted out at $402 million in the U.S., well, sorry, $1.04 billion global, which today would be $2.1 billion, which Avatar 2 did $2.3 billion. So just for some scale, uh, that's your adjusted for inflation comparison about how massive uh, Jurassic Park was in, in 1993. And then number three, Sleep is in Seattle, Elaine. That's got to be somewhere. Look, I'm, I I love Nora Ephron. This is, it is my least favorite of the Nora Ephron movies, but I love it dearly still. Uh, there you go. I probably, I don't think I've ever actually seen the whole movie. Now that I'm what? Thinking about it. <laughs> well, it's, it's no what I, people have that same reaction whenever they, you know, and I love other films that they've done, but yeah, no, I don't know. Wasn't, Wild. wasn't on my radar in 93. Yeah. I don't know. Was, uh, I mean, they, they had the reaction that it wasn't Harry and Sally, but it was still a massive, uh, it was a massive hit. Yeah. I mean, 126 million for a rom-com in 1993 and 230 million, uh, globally. So, uh, but yeah, that's a, that's a one, two, three, July 4th right there. That's pretty solid. Uh, number four was a re-release of Snow White back when they used to do those. Another thing that? that doesn't happen uh, anymore. <laughs> Talk about windows. Yeah. Put, put it back in the vault. What was it? Seven year windows. Was that right, Richard? They would was put it? them out every seven years on VHS or something, right? How often they came around. And, and then you'd have the two years before it where they take all the tapes off the market. And right. They were just, yep. You couldn't get Snow White. You couldn't. Yep. Snow White was like, you had to know a guy if you wanted to see, <laughs> if you wanted to see uh, one of those movies or something. Exactly. Uh, we had Dennis the Menace, uh, 10 million opening, which is, eh. and then a uh, Pauly Shore film. Uh, you know, pa- <laughs> another, you yet, a- <laughs> yet another lost genre, the Pauly Shore film. Yeah. You ever <laughs> seen one of those, Elaine? I've never heard of this movie before in my life. So, the movie is called Son in Law. It is not, uh, have you this heard would, it? This would be something to explain to the young people today explain why <laughs> Pauly Shore was a giant. It's- 
<laughs> Basically, it's, it's it's MTV, Richard. That's literally what that you know uh, what that entails. Uh, so yes, you look at this top five. What's interesting about this, with the exception of Jurassic Park, every genre or kind of film is 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 pretty much gone. Uh, yeah, I was I was, was going to say evenly represented, but you're right. It is uh, you know yeah, the nuts and bolts thriller gone. Jurassic Park still there. Big screen wow. rom com is gone. Right. Alt re-release is uh, is 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 gone wow. except for some very special occasions. Right. Um. They roll out. They basically roll out Star Wars and uh, as I uh, think Star Wars has had one. Yeah, for Jedi or yeah. something like. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Dennis, the live action children's uh film gone, and the Pauly Shore comedy, <laughs> the star based comedy vehicle. Maybe we'll put it in more favorable terms, Richard. Uh. Yeah. yeah this is uh no longer seen. So that one made. Uh, open to seven million, which would be fourteen million dollars today, and then made twenty twenty six million dollars in in, in nineteen ninety three for a, a Pauly Shore comedy Elaine. So there there was money in those those Pauly Shore Pauly Shore movies. Um, so that had five films over ten million in nineteen ninety three. Uh, and just for that for context, uh, Elaine, that was also the summer going into it was uh Jurassic Park versus Arnold Schwarzenegger. That was the last action hero versus uh, Jurassic Park showdown at the theaters. And Arnie got soundly smacked down at the theaters. Richard, do you remember all of this going on that going into that summer? That was a big well, the, uh, last that. action here was the first movie premiere I attended in my life. And uh, a friend of mine uh, wrote the original script and uh, went to it as a young, I guess I was 22, maybe oh, my. the year and left said, this is going to be the biggest hit in the world. This is, this is, wow. this is, yeah. this is amazing. And the audience is going wild for it. Like, you know, Never yeah. be a movie as big as Last Action Hero. Uh, our friend Sonny Bunch just wrote an ode to that movie in his column uh, over at the Bulwark about. I haven't seen it, you know, probably since it came out. Then Richard, I, I would actually be. It's on Netflix now. I'd be. I'd be very curious to watch watch that. In in the middle of it, there's this uh, uh, parody of Hamlet. Hamlet re- remade as an action film that is uh, very funny. So, Elaine, are you in? Does that does that hook you or no? You're not no. Wait, sorry, a parody of Hamlet as an action Something's film? Something's rotten in Denmark and Hamlet's taking out the trash. <laughs> I believe sure. that's how it uh, went. <laughs> we'll do an Angler viewing party. Uh, <laughs> just for so for the record, so when Last Action Hero came out, it was the week two of Jurassic Park, and Jurassic Park made $38 million in week two, and Last Action Hero made $15 million a lane, so just was not meant to be. And then Arnold's recent documentary he put out on Netflix, Richard, I've read some pieces. I think you saw it or not, but he had this, this, but he, he stayed in his home all weekend and didn't talk to anybody. Was he, that... he was laying in bed crying. He was, yeah. it was like, it's, I, th- I think he said it was one of the two worst things that ever happened to him. Yeah. Uh, he's coming off of total recall. This is the first kind of big Arnold bomb, Elaine. So this was the big, uh, ah. this is after a big run of, of the Arnold era. So anyway, and also just of note in 1993, uh, cliffhanger came out, which, uh, Paramount's now remaking for some reason here. 20, uh, no, uh 30 cliffhanger years. was, was, was very solid. Cliffhanger was a good, what was I don't it? know. I had a, yeah. Rennie Harlan, who's not directing the sequel. Uh, yeah. yes, a Stallone mountain climbing action movie Elaine. So. so this, this was the year that Arnold, uh, had his downfall and, and, uh, Sly came back. Because he had yeah, had a, that's true. He had had yeah. a rough period before that for for a few moves. So he had a few uh, 
not wise choices. So last action hero ended up at 50 million and cliffhanger made 84 that summer, $84 million. All right, Elaine, 1983, which I'm <laughs> sure you were not. <laughs> a couple of years before I was born there. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm sure you've heard of most of these films. So that, that I will guarantee. A little film films, called Return of the Jedi. Yeah. <laughs> Return of the Jedi, which you may have heard of independent film success was the number one film in 1983. We had eight films. Uh, if you adjust for inflation, doing over $10 million. So that's quite a run there. But Return of the Jedi is July 4th, uh, weekend, 1983. In week six was number one, Richard, uh, at $12 million. That speaks to just how different the 80s movie business was, I think, to a degree. I mean, you you look at the uh, this this list here, not to give it all away. But, but, no, but, no, go continue on, yep. Uh, but there's a couple clunkers in here, but the number of movies that are still watched and regarded well regarded today that were all playing at a theater near you at the same time uh right then is astounding so the number two was superman three uh which was in week three there was no new film in 1983 so again uh this july 4th thing you know was really a creation and i'll get into this in a little bit but uh of the essentially the 90s of superman three did seven million on its way to 59 million in 1983 Training Places, which I always think is a Christmas movie. I I always forget this was released in the summertime, uh, which is always just throws me off. Uh, that it's, was it, well, it said it. It said it, it is. It's set in the yeah. holidays. That's why I'm like, this is a Christmas summer movie. But Eddie Murphy was hot. Uh, a week four at six million dollars. Uh, Twilight Zone, the movie, which has a very unfortunate past in history. Uh, week two at six million. Uh, then we have Porky's two. Richard at five million. <laughs> Um, that's probably not seen too much today for good reason what well, is porky's two can someone do you know what porky's one is i mean let me start with that do you okay. know, do you, is the porky's franchise anywhere in your brain elaine no, okay that's, that's a good not. thing probably so yeah porky's yeah. was like a was like sort of the rawest of te- teen sex comedies it was like five years after uh after animal when it kind of finally had kind of gotten to the uh to, to the to the bottom there and was sort of no budget. Uh no the, the, the original Porky's has some charm to it actually. Uh it's not a good it movie. It also has some other problematic things in that yeah, film, Richard. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's not it's not a good movie and it's not a movie you'd want to show today <laughs> by but there there's a little life to it. And then they made how many Porky's movies did they oh, make? I have no I said that's a question for the podcast. Went on for like but, yeah. Six yeah. of them. And uh this again this is a genre that was essentially killed by John Hughes. Uh when when he started when when he said hey we can make comedies that are PG and you know teenagers is this like yeah. the spiritual predecessor to American Pie yes or? yes okay. exactly right. right yep yep but, but again much was... much sort of raw and kind and of more, scuzzy and yeah and... it's it's yeah it's yeah probably doesn't feel great to watch that film in two thousand twenty three but the current the streaming services the streaming aren't uh, itching to keep that not, one. I don't know if Porky's is available to stream anywhere, but uh, look at that it made one hundred and nine million. Well, well, so the so the sequel made thirty three. The original made one hundred and nine million dollars in the nineteen eighty one eighty. You know, early eighties money. It made one hundred and nine million dollars in the U S. That's which, that's that's more than Trading Places. Trading Places made ninety million uh, in, in that year. So. This is before the internet, Elaine. So uh, sex comedies had a little bit of a different place in our society <laughs> of why people went to the movies. 
Anyway, that's a good memory land there. And then it round out Octopussy, a James a James Bond movie at $5 million. And then War Games was in week five, Richard, uh, which was a big hit at $74 million total in the U.S. Huge, um, huge hit there. That huge was, and that was a Memorial Day weekend movie, you, I believe. And You have a bunch of movies that killed off uh, uh, a lot of things here. That uh, Superman 3 pretty much killed off Superman. Uh, <laughs> right. Superman 3 is the one uh, where he where he gets depressed and he goes on a drinking bender, I believe. Yeah. Uh, Richard Pryor's in it. And uh, yes. yeah, it's interesting. They made a Superman four for the record, uh, did not kill it entirely, but certainly uh, did not have the juice of Superman two. Um, Octopussy was Roger Moore, James Bond. That's Roger Moore, James Bond, Octopussy that made 67 million in the U S in 1983. Good business, solid business. Um, not one of the more memorable films. I don't think Richard in the bond pantheon, but I don't no, know. Not, not a good bond movie. And then, Stroke race, stroke uh, race. I put on here. Ended the uh, the 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 Burt Reynolds uh, sort of action comedy tail end of the uh, Burt Reynolds '80s era. It was 1983 that uh, opened that opened that weekend, and I think it was a uh, ninth place at 4.6 million. So that was not a good opening for Burt Reynolds, and not a memorable film. Um, so pop quiz for Richard Elaine. You'd be happy now. I'm going to quiz Richard. He's all right. <laughs> you feel better. Yes, yes. Pop quiz for Richard only. All right. So there was no new July 4th film that weekend, which was a, it was on a Monday, July 4th. Um, there was no new film the next weekend either, to give you some context about volume of things. You know, this uh, was not a thing in 1983, but a new film hit theaters on July 15th, 1983. Richard, what was it? Highly anticipated, open to $12 million. Open your throat. Give me a hint. Big movie. It, it was a sequel to a big movie in the 70s. Sequel to a big movie, not Smokey and the Bandit Part Two. Not Smokey. No, nope, that's not. No. Nope. Sequel to. Uh, gosh. Oh. Uh, no. I'm. I'm. I am. I'm coming up empty. Was. Was. Was that. Uh, was it. Was it Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom? It was. That was eighty four. No. That okay. was not. No. Um, I, I. I. I am. I am humiliated uh, here. <laughs> I don't think we're going to fault you for this one, but it was staying alive. Staying alive, yes, yes, a great. Uh, Elaine, do you know what that is? Um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> vaguely, yes. vaguely, my culture. Yes. It yes. is a film that I don't know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is, of course, the sequel. It's a John to, uh, Travolta movie. It is a well. Yeah, uh, yes. see, okay, I know of it. It's a yeah, sequel, it's a sequel to Saturday Night Fever, uh, which came out, uh, boy, so seventy was eight years, eight years later after the original, so. That came out and it did uh, $63 million, Richard. It's, it considered really? a, it's considered a dud, Elaine, which would be $192 million in present day wow. dollars. I think Spencer Stallone wrote it. Did my have? Uh, yeah. 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 So that is uh, your stroll down memory lane. All right. So all these years, which one do you want to go back to? Uh, Richard, which which weekend are you taking here? Or you can take the, the present day weekend. I guess that's on the menu as well. Uh, I, I, I'll, I'll pass on, on, on this weekend. Uh, when you look at 1983, there was uh, th- there was good and there was bad, but uh, if you had right now Return of the Jedi, Trading Places, and War Games, uh, just those three at the box office alone, you would say like this: movies are back. It's the biggest summer ever. It's uh, we've never seen anything like this. It's just such a different one to have all those different movies and a James Bond movie and a Superman movie all all there uh, at the box office at one time is. Uh, a world where where the cinematic experience was uh, at the center of society in a different way. All right, Elaine. 
I think quite obviously it would have to be the Pauly Shore year, 1993, <laughs> but not necessarily because of Pauly Shore. Uh, how can you beat Sleepless in Seattle and Jurassic Park and The Firm? The top three alone, you know, the rest of it drops off and Pauly Shore is fun to have there, but that's just three. What's a one, two, three punch right there. I just, that's a tough one for me to, and you still had Schwarzenegger on screens too. So that, that one to me, when I saw that, I was like, wow, that's your one, two, three that weekend, like three films that are still vastly held, you know, as classics, uh, you know, and here in, in 30 years later. So uh, 2003 is definitely the dud of, uh, of the run here, but Richard solid point 83 had a good showing, but there's too many duds in there and, uh, in the mix that films that, you know, didn't make it for me, but anyway, this was fun. Hope you had a good time, uh, guys doing this. We of course have Indiana Jones again in theaters this weekend, um, at $295 million, uh, budget, uh, Elaine, how does that sit with you? It costs that much to make That's the budget. Yeah. What? Yeah. How's it going to recoup all of that? That's Elaine uh, from the Disney accounting department. That's a live state. That's a fresh, <laughs> fresh quote from the, from the head of accounting at Disney. Uh, My utter shock at that number. <laughs> yeah. Richard, you saw Raiders in theaters, I'm sure. Uh, the original. Yes, I did. Yes, yeah. I was uh, part of the sequel generation. Times. So I saw Temple of Doom for I, before I saw <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark. Uh, like I saw Rocky two first. I saw Jaws two first. Um, so I was that generation that was the sequel generation before I saw the, all these fine original films. Uh, and also Elaine Temple of Doom, just a fun fact for you before we go here, this and another film from 1984, uh, led to the creation of the PG 13 rating. Oh, I did not know that. Yes. It was there. That was PG Richard. What was the other film that led to the rating? Poltergeist? No, it was gremlins. <laughs> Grim- that's gremlins. Else. That's right. So really? gremlins and, uh, Temple of Doom both came out. And alarmed society that there were PG and PG 13 was created in the summer of uh, 1984. Uh, Richard, what was the first PG 13 film? The first PG 13. You're killing me with the quickies. <laughs> See, Elaine, I told you I'd spread the love here. This is what happens when you read years of Premiere Magazine, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Elaine, that's exactly what this brain, my brain looks like. Yeah, this is exactly what that is. Once again, I cannot remember. All right, we're going with uh, Red Dawn. Red Dawn, of course. In August of 84 was the first PG-13 film in America. So there's your there's your barbecue fun fact, everybody. And uh, Richard, you have a fun summer memory. I'm going to I'm gonna leave it to you to bring us out this week of summer <laughs> premieres uh, going back to probably the biggest one of the 90s, arguably. Uh, yeah, here's my happy Fourth uh, of July uh, screen going memory. And every single part of this story doesn't exist anymore so uh it's uh, <laughs> a little trip in a time machine i was just I, I was just remembering one of my most memorable movie going experiences when independence day ca- uh came out in what was it 1997 i believe 96 96 96 yes and i went with some friends to see it uh at the back then that people when it was an anticipated film the footnotes you need to the story are are incredible uh uh <laughs> The anticipated film, people would line up for the midnight show uh, the, the the day before it opened. So they would open open the doors at midnight to get an extra box office uh, there. So so a huge line at the, I think it was the Man Theater in Burbank. Uh, it was a All Man right. uh, Sixplex or something like that in, uh, in downtown Burbank there, filled with uh, Burbank uh, teenagers who cut, had a very kind of like 1950s kind of clean cut night at the sock hop vibe or something um, to all they're excited for, for, for this huge opening of independence day and they get there and the crowd went wild and loved it. And I uh, was with it all, all the way. And, you know, one of the classic 
popcorn movie going experiences and everything. And then going to the finale and they uploaded the uh, alien compatible virus up to the uh, on the uh, the, the <laughs> MacBook. Wasn't that on a MacBook in 1996, yes, exactly. I think, right? With a 56K RAM or something, which yeah. he got the idea for because what was it? Uh, Judge her sneeze, sneezed and uh, and uh, Jeff Goldblum said, wait, a cold virus virus yes. <laughs> that was right. how i got the idea for uh the, the the special method to bring down the uh the, the alien invaders and just at that moment the film which was made shown on film got caught in the projector Oof. and burned this is something that occasionally happened if you uh, didn't have your projectionist just going into the climactic battle and the film burned and the teenagers, it was about 2.30 in the morning by this point, sat in sort of stunned silence for about 20 seconds and then just erupted and uh, ransacked the entire place, like went behind the candy counter and were, were, it was it was, it was really like prom night gone wrong. It was like... Oh, Lane's mouth uh, is wide open right now for the rest of <laughs> they, they, they got all the candy and were just throwing bo- boxes of raisinettes You're around kidding. to the crowd. They were just... The entire... Just just marauded the entire place, like went wild in there. And that that, that, that there was your passion for film. And uh, the epilogue was. A- <laughs> I'm not sure that's exactly the, what the takeaway there, Richard. The, but well, the 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 epilogue. Uh, the police eventually came and cleared right, it so out. Three in the morning now. Yeah, and a, yeah. A, after the police came and cleared cleared it out, they managed to actually get it running again. So we saw the last fifteen minutes. Stayed from- till four Wait, in the morning. Who stayed so- to watch the last yeah, few minutes? You're then. talking to him right now. So at four <laughs> in the morning, I was uh, I, I I was standing on the sidewalk, and uh, some some middle aged woman in an usher's uniform. Like everybody was gone. The the whole the streets were empty. Yeah. The theater was empty, yeah. and this middle aged woman in an usher's uniform must have been hiding in a closet or something. Right. Uh, came Horrible. sort of creeping out, sort of looking looking around to make sure it was all okay, yeah. and saw us there and said. I hope the crowd is better behaved tomorrow night. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if the the print was broken, now I'm concerned. That's like, that's tough. That was was the start of the weekend, man. That's that's a tough one. Richard, what candy did you get from that night? Uh, You didn't, of course, take anything, of course. Uh, I had, Uh, I had, I was a Whoppers eater. Yeah. And I pay pay for my Whoppers even. (laughs) Elaine, the the sock hop went awry. uh, (laughs) That's some story, Richard. (laughs) Surprise ending. You didn't see coming. So they don't do that anymore. But back in my day. (laughs) (laughs) How many of those sock hop teenagers actually stayed to watch the rest of the movie after they were done ransacking? Yeah, who was back with you? very, very few. few. Yeah, it might have been, it might have been just me and my friends. Yeah. Uh, That's yeah, private screening to the city and uh, the the aliens vanquished. So, all right, well, I guarantee they won't be doing that at Indiana Jones this weekend, but uh, that's probably for the best, I guess. So definitely won't be a, a film print getting caught in the machine. Uh, but as always, I'll be covering all the box office action in my break uh, uh, box office breakdown on Monday in the Wake Up newsletter, which you can get by subscribing to the Angler at theangler.com. And then I'm uh, taking the week off, Elaine. So, you know. I'll leave the leave the strike in your hands. That's 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 good. We're good, right? You're fine. Yeah, you yeah. Me? No, there's no problem there. Oh, by the way, I will tell you guys. I went to the premiere of Joyride on oh. Monday, which okay. comes out on July seventh, and yeah. it is uh yes, it is very much so the summer of raunchy R-rated comedies. That's it. Okay, the spirit of the '80s lives on. Yes. No, I loved it. I, I recommend everyone go see it. All right, there you go. There's your recommendation on uh, July seventh. So Joyride lives up to the hype so i guess that would be the the way to 
just keep excited for it. So that's awesome. Um, all right. Anyway, uh, thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, we'll see you next week. 